Hey Stellar One fans, I'm your host, Mary Rectoris. And I'm your co-host, Mila Taylor. Stellar Woman shines a light on female leaders making their mark in tech. We are really excited today. We have a special guest on the Stellar Woman podcast to talk about allyship, our CEO, Mike Gamson. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Mike, we did say we were going to throw some curveballs your way. So Perfect. we have a new section on the Stellarman podcast to kind of start us off on a high note, and it's called our highlight of the week. Given it is Tuesday, you can also share your highlight of the weekend, but I'll share my highlight of the week thus far. I did a little bit of spring cleaning this weekend. My partner and I are moving to the suburbs. Um, it just felt good to declutter and get rid of some stuff and get ready for our move. Um, I'll go next. My highlight happened just before this call. My parents are obviously in Australia and I haven't been able to see them for what feels like forever, but they just got their first vaccination appointments for this weekend. So I am one step closer. I love it. All right. I'll, 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 I'll take the vaccination uh, handoff there. Mm-hmm. Um, we, my wife and I are now uh, fully vaccinated and we went out for the first time on Saturday night. And it was kind of doubly joyful because we, we went out, um, was still like outside with six or seven couple of friends, but like we hadn't seen human beings like in a long time. <laughs> and the other amazing thing for us as partners, well, we have three kids, youngest one is six. And so the older kids put to bed the younger kid and that was a big deal. So being out, no babysitter, big time. We're living big here, people. So. Mary and I and the rest of the Relativians are fortunate in that we get to hear from Mike regularly. So we know how important allyship allyship is to him. And if you've heard Mike speak, you definitely know that as well. And if you haven't heard Mike speak, you are in for a treat. So first question is about what is your why when it comes to allyship? So what inspires you to be an ally for female professionals and also just for marginalized communities? Yeah, I I would say there's there's a few things. You know, one is I'm definitely in the category of people who truly had a lightning bolt moment in my life, which was shameful, which I'll explain in a sec, but really was for me a literal turning point moment in my decision to become active in both shedding as many of my biases as I could, those of which I could identify and do something about, and, and certainly deciding to be a proactive ally. And so that, that's the biggest piece. The, se- the second piece is I think, you know, I, I, have, I have come from a, a background of privilege. And by privilege, I mean, I don't mean came from great wealth. I mean, I came from uh, a home where I had two parents who loved each other and me and my sisters. I'm a brother between two strong women, both of whom are super intelligent and badasses in their respective careers and lives. And so my mom is a very strong person. My great-grandmother, Pearl, was the matriarch in our family. And she was a 16-year-old immigrant by herself to the U.S. And kind of one of those, those kinds of stories, just an incredible person who made it work. We named uh, our daughter after her. And so I've literally, since I was born, had nothing but incredibly strong examples of what it means to be a capable, assertive, successful woman in many different uh, manifestations of that. And yet, I fell into the same trap as so many white, straight men like me who've come from privilege, unaware of that, 
and how much I've been running downhill with the wind at my back my whole life until I had this really shameful moment that was my turning point, which was I was at my last uh, employer and we were at a big internal event. And it was one of those like really high energy, fun, kind of rah-rah event. And, and I was the host for my, my big global team. And there was, this was about, I don't know, 10 years or so ago. And there was a woman on my team uh, with whom I was close and she was a pretty senior woman on my team. And she came up to me afterwards and said, Mike, you know, how do you think that morning went? And, uh, and I thought I crushed it, right? That we crushed it. It was amazing. You know, great morning. And, uh, and she was letting me speak and just, I was just walking into a, a hole. Uh, and she said, you know, I'm not sure if you, if you noticed, but all guys on stage, it was an all guy parade on stage. And so I said two really bad things after that. The first thing was I, I didn't notice. I literally did not notice that every speaker that morning was a guy. And the second thing, which is even worse, is I said, well, it was just a department head meeting and those are the department heads. And she's like, that's my freaking point. Like, this is the problem and you don't know it. So you are a big part of the problem. And thankfully, like, thankfully, I had her in my life to just like speak truth at me. And I sat there and, um, uh, and I just felt so ashamed that like in a moment, I like literally had one of those moments where I like recounted my life quickly in my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, how could I have become that person who squandered an opportunity to build an organization? Cause I had an opportunity to build an organization from scratch that became large. How did I squander an opportunity to just start from the beginning correctly and evenly? And so because I didn't, it took me the next many years to undo much of that work and to took an extraordinary effort among a, a large number of leaders across that team to change that flow. But so that's my why is because I was struck by lightning, thankfully, early enough in my life to do something about it. And, and I've, I have decided to never again be a passive professional along that journey, but to be really outspoken and specific about it. Yeah, allyship, it's not often male intense. Sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And there are times where you may feel embarrassed or ashamed that I didn't act in a way that was supportive of marginalized communities, but own it, you know, sit with your shame a little bit, but then you have to do something after that. We've all have that. And I imagine we'll continue to have that as well. We're all learning. So thanks for sharing. So, Mike, you're in a very unique position being kind of the face of relativity, a senior leader at a large tech company. In a lot of ways, all eyes are on you. So you're very vulnerable and transparent. So how do you navigate that being an ally and knowing there might be moments where you don't always get it right? Yeah, I think because I try to forgive myself ahead of time. You know, I I know I'm going to make mistakes and I know this is a allyship is a minefield fraught with problems. And when you're a public facing person, the likelihood that you make a public facing problem is pretty high. And so I don't know if this is what everyone's strategy is in my position, but what I try to do is just get really clear with myself as what's in my heart. What am I trying to achieve? And then I try to ask my network if I'm uncertain about something. Like as an example, um, I'm a feminist and I'm, I am now comfortable saying I'm a feminist. I didn't know few years ago, if I was even allowed to say I'm a feminist, was it a word that was reserved exclusively for women to speak with pride about their predisposition? I don't believe so. And so I asked a number of my women friends, I feel like I'm a feminist. A feminist means 
someone who believes that women and men should be equal, et cetera, then I am that. But I don't hear a lot of men saying that. Can I, am I allowed to say it? And so sometimes I'll just ask my network and I'll check in ahead of time and I'll make my mistakes in private. Uh, same, same thing among other communities of my black friends or, or other friends in groups that are often marginalized where there's often a lot of tension in the language of a majority straight white man speaking about something where the price of mistake is significant. And so ask my network, I'm okay with making some mistakes. And I know that on the 20, 30, 40 year arc of my career, I want to be great at this. And I, I don't know anything that, I don't know how to be great at anything without making mistakes. And so if someone says they want to be great at something, but they're not willing to make a few mistakes along the way, I, maybe I should train under that person. I just don't know how to do that. It's a great point. And just having that network of people you trust. So as a white woman, I obviously have a lot of privilege where a black tech professional might not have that same. So sometimes I worry, am I using the right verbiage? And having those people you can talk to and, you know, course correct if necessary, I think is a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. And we talk a lot on this podcast. Maribel Rivera actually said this, like, quote, like, be the CEO of your own life. And in that way, you should have these like board of advisors who you check in with regularly, all kinds of decisions. And so, you know, even my involvement on this podcast, we've kind of come to learn and discuss that, you know, diversity and inclusion, it goes so much further than just than just gender. And it's important to have these people who kind of cover as much ground as possible. Obviously, it's really t- it's really hard to touch every single group. But, you know, if you're engaging with as many people as possible, I think, you know, you're setting yourself up for success. Yeah. So so that's that resonated with me. Um. Okay, so kind of switching gears to maybe a time when you when you have gotten it right. Um, can you tell us a bit about a time when you were an active ally and what kind of motivated you to show up in that way? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so a- an example is I was speaking with uh, a speaking with friends, this is maybe four or five years ago, about female representation on boards of tech companies. So I know there's a much broader conversation about gender imbalance in positions of power generally across industries, in executive suites, and in boards. What I know are tech companies. And uh, outside of, uh, of my, my work at Relativity, I also do a fair amount of tech investing. And I, I used to be a very active board member and advisor uh, over the last 10 years or so. And so I've had the opportunity to be in those rooms where it happens. And those rooms where it happens are dominated by men and often they're exclusively men. And so I was talking with a friend about this and and it dawned on me that I actually have the opportunity to be more influential in those parts of my life than I had number one been aware of. Because when you when you end up in a position of influence, maybe just speaking for myself, I don't want to speak for anyone else, when I've ended up in a position of influence in my life. That wasn't a planned or strategic thing. It just has kind of evolved. And when you're the person inside of that, you can sometimes forget that you have influence and you're just a person doing your thing in your life. And you forget that you can be influential outside of the core and obvious areas, let's say at work hierarchically. And, and so what I decided to do was rather than just suggesting to the companies in which I had invested or that I was on the board saying, I think it'd be a good idea for you to do something more to, to balance out your boardroom. I decided to go further and just as a mandate say, I'm no longer going to participate on any board or any panel that doesn't have women represented on it. And so I called at the time I was on like a lot of boards, like almost 
10, I think. And I called the CEOs of all the companies that I was on the board of. And I said, hey, I don't want this to sound like an ultimatum, but it's kind of an ultimatum that um, I need you to make sure that you have more of a, a balanced board or else I might need to resign. And, and although the conversation was not quite as tr truncated as that, the, it was as clear as that. And uh, every one of those boards has women on it now. And some of the process there was easy and some of the process was hard, but it all happened. And even more interesting, and I think more impactful for me and, and, and satisfying was that a few of those uh, fellow board members were venture partners at Chicago companies that I do a number of things with. And they decided that across their whole portfolio, they were gonna mandate that. And so the, I guess maybe a, a call out for folks who, who are listening and thinking about the, in their lives and their circles of influence, sometimes the action you take can be amplified and impact by what it does in snowballing other actions in others. And so when we think about, sometimes we can consider, gosh, I could take this action, but it takes a lot of effort or it's socially risky or there's maybe adverse effects. And if we only think about the potential net benefit as being the direct next benefit, it can seem like the equation doesn't make sense to pursue it too risky. But if you think on the knock-on effect of all the other people who may be positively impacted as a second and third degree from your action, it increases the benefit so much that it allows you to consider taking on more risk and still have it make good sense. And so that was a really satisfying thing. And now four or five years later, I can see the, the results from it. How do you navigate those conversations, whether it's a panel or a board, when someone says, look, the industry is not very diverse. We have a lot white men. Yeah. I don't want to be tokenistic about this. How do you navigate those combos? The, the no talent pool argument. Yes, very yeah. much so. <laughs> Totally. It's a, it's a great call. And by the way, very standard and well-intentioned answer. I mean, my, my opinion about kind of the whole problem of representation, whether we're talking about uh, women and men, whether we're talking about racial representation, it's mostly well-intended people that just either don't have the tools, don't know how, you know, other kinds of well-intended constraints as opposed to people who are somehow secretly behind a room saying we should never let any women in here ever. I, I haven't encountered those people. They may exist. I haven't encountered them, but it's mostly... Well, the, the most qualified, it sounds something like this. Well, the most qualified candidates we've seen are these men. And so my normal argument is the following. And depending on who I'm, I'm not a sports person, but if I'm talking to someone who's like a sports person, I'll use a sports analogy. And, and, and oftentimes the guy who's giving me that answer is a sports person. So I'll say something like this. Let's say that you are the coach of a basketball team. And, you and that basketball team wins when you have a few you know, shorter, fast people, one really tall person in the middle, and you know, two kind of like mid-tall people, right? They have different attributes, but together the team functions better. By the way, that's like a very shallow understanding of a basketball team because I really don't know the answer, but you, know, you get what I mean. The team functions together better when there is a diversity of attributes collectively making the whole better and more able to win. If you were to only be hiring that next player, on a shooting percentage or on some other single attribute, if you had your whole team only hired on those attributes, individually, you would say, I hired the best person, but collectively you'd have a worse team. And that's what I think you're doing with this board or with this team inside the company is you're not thinking about hiring for the team. You're exclusively thinking about hiring for that one role as if you weren't building a team. 
And it's usually that kind of path is it's okay, I got it. So if I think about attributes and backgrounds and perspective and worldviews as the things I need to build a complementary set of in order to most effectively govern the company, reduce risk, pursue growth, whatever the goals are, then that's something that begins to make sense often. You can take this question as, you know, philosophical as far as you want to go, but what does a more equitable world look like to Mike Gapson? You know, I, I'm a big believer that talent is distributed evenly across the world and opportunity is not. Pull apart those two statements and examine them individually first. So for talent to be distributed evenly, that means that, that there's a lot of talent which is innate. And that whether you were born on the right side of the tracks or the wrong side of the tracks, whether you're born a man or a woman, whether you have any number of capabilities or challenges, the talent is, is distributed evenly. But the, the opportunity to manifest that talent from the very beginning of the environment in which you were a small child to the educational system, to the people who reached out a hand, who got you that first internship, who helped you not fail out of school, who pulled you over but didn't take you to jail or worse. Um, all of those things that can derail a life or get it, keeping it on the rails, that's not even, that's not fair. And so for me, a more equitable world is where someone's talents, regardless of into which body they were born or what side of the tracks in what city or state or country, they have an equal chance of manifesting the full potential of those talents. Great. And Mike, something we like to do for our listeners is provide very like tangible resources or next actions for them. So for those that are looking to become a better ally or spread the knowledge with their peers and colleagues, what are some of your go-tos to make sure you're evolving as an ally for marginalized communities? Some books or podcasts, any suggestions? Well, certainly this podcast is amazing. I mean, <laughs> oh, clearly if you haven't fun. already like tuned in, listened to the back catalog, subscribed, I mean, you're missing out because there is serious knowledge and wisdom dropped here frequently. Wow. Um, you know, I think I, I'm really, I'm really passionate about local, local communities. So I think, you know, there's an incredible organization called Bonfire uh, here in Chicago, um, part of an organization called uh, the Athena Alliance, which is specifically focused on helping women find board seats. Um, I recently participated in a group called uh, Him For Her, and it specifically links corporate executives with uh, women who aspire to be on boards for a small scale like dinner. This was Zoom, but like usually over a dinner and, and really just honest conversation about what it takes to do that. And, and so I think there's some fantastic organizations that are explicitly focused on that. But, but for me, the most impactful above and beyond everything else is just consciously extending my network with people who are not like me and really just making sure that I'm making the time to develop like real friendships and real relationships with folks that did not grow up down the block, which with folks who don't share all of my interests and where I can both share with them and they can share with me. And, and I think we, we make each other's lives a lot more rich from that difference of perspective and background and thought. And that's why I love CRGs at Relativity because that's something I realized by joining CRGs. My network was people who grew up in the same you know, neighborhood as me or socioeconomic yeah. status. Almost everyone was white. And I think, you know, I didn't realize that I, my perspective was so limited and I really have expanded that 
by resource groups. I know not everyone has those, but different companies have different programs. And I would encourage people to look into them because it's broadened and kind of changed my my life in a lot of ways. I agree. I agree. And like being semi on the receiving end is like I grew up in a very same kind of thing. Everyone was like white Jewish. I went to a Jewish school. And so growing up and moving to Chicago and meeting people who hadn't met that many Jewish people and were interested to learn about it, I was like, huh, how interesting that someone wants to learn about what I know, because um, it just seems so mundane. And I think, as, as you said, like those friendships and those relationships are so much richer because you're constantly learning and growing. And that's what like life is all about. So I plus one hard on that one. Okay, so we're going to close out with one question. And that is if, if you could share some wisdom with your 18 year old self about allyship specifically, what would you say? Mm. My 18 year old self, my, <laughs> I don't know if my 18 year old self was ready to receive wisdom. So let me just kind of like own that honestly. Um, my 18 year old self had a very, I'd say, um, evolved sense of ambition and a not yet evolved sense of com- compassion. Um, so I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to assume we caught that, that, that guy on a good day and that he was open to some advice. Um, I think it would be to take advantage of the opportunity. I was around so many amazing people actually when I was 18, extraordinary in retrospect, extraordinary and diverse group of people. Take the opportunity to go beyond the most comfortable relationships and actually have one-on-one conversations with people because it really, I'm an, I'm an end of spectrum extrovert and I tend to always roll in a group, which is for me a ton of fun, um, but groups rarely end up being the environment in which really delicate subjects and intimate exchanges of feelings and information are passed. And so to my 18 year old self, I would say, you know, seek out people who aren't like you and, and create a scenario for more one-on-one conversations where you can ask more. I love that. And I've realized that with friends too, always fun to have a group setting. It definitely leads to a lot of laughs, but you don't really get into how people are because it's, hard to engage in that level. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, this has been a pleasure. We've loved having you, learned a lot, and uh, appreciate you being on. I so appreciate both of you. I mean, you are such great examples of leading women at Relativity who are doing amazing, creative, and impactful work like this. So thank you. It really is a wonderful part of our culture that you are adding to all of us. Thank you so much. Of course. And for Stellar Women, I'm Mary Victoris. And I'm Nina Taylor. Hang on.